there's something awesome about just worshiping with fellow Young Life leaders. We had the privilege at leadership a couple weeks ago to just do that. We're finally back with a new episode to the Midlands Podcast. Here we go. Well, welcome to another episode of the Midlands Podcast. It's been a while. That's because I've been occupied with two beautiful twin daughters, and they have wonderfully taken more of my time, and I loved it. We are excited to have Dustin Swinehart come and share with our leaders. Dustin has played professional football slash soccer with the Charlotte Eagles and is also the executive director for Project 659 in Charlotte, which focuses on serving at-risk families in the city with specific interest to refugees. Info for this awesome ministry will be in the show notes. But without further ado, here's Dustin Swinehart. So I, I grew up in Columbus, like Steve said. I came to Christ when I was in high school through Young Life. I was 16 years old, and um, it growing up for me, I, I wanted to do three things well. I wanted to be a really good student, a really good athlete, and um, I wanted to have a really great set of friends. And that's kind of what I lived my life for. And then when I was 16 years old, um, a Young Life leader entered my life and changed forever the course of what my life has looked like. God has used um, a guy um, to come in, his name's Billy, and Billy loved me a lot and pointed me towards Jesus in June 20th, 1990, none of you were born then, I became a Christian. And, um, and that's when I came to the Lord, as a Frontier Ranch, Colorado, because yes. I was out the Frontier. Yeah. And, um, and it was awesome, and, and God put a group of friends uh, that all came to Christ and that camp together that really started to, to do life well together, and we're still all very, very close friends. Um, but Young Life has got a really special part of my life. In college, I got real involved with Campus Crusade. Um, and I wanted to do two things when I graduated college. I wanted to be a professional athlete, and I wanted to be a missionary. And uh, so when I graduated college, I started playing professional soccer, um, signed my first professional contract. But then I also work in, started working in ministry full-time. And so I've done those two pieces uh, for the last 20-plus years, and it's, been, it's just been really incredible to see what God's done. In that process, I came to Charlotte and um, played with a team in Charlotte and started to lead Young Life as well. I was a volunteer leader at East Mech High School where we connected up like Steve mentioned. Um, and uh, my wife, I married a girl named Betty Lou. And uh, Betty and I are married, live in Charlotte, have four kids, and we came on Young Life staff for a little while in Charlotte. And, um, and so we're on staff for a little bit. And, um, and so Young Life has been a big piece of my life. My sister um, was on Young Life staff in the region and her now husband who was one of the area directors here in Columbia. And so my sister is Ashley Swiner. She married a guy named Dave Peterson um, that was here. And so they now live in Santa Barbara and they're the young, on young life staff in Santa Barbara. And so he's the area director there and young life just happened there. And the other last cool thing is um, my kids are in young life. <clears throat> um, my oldest is a sophomore. My second uh, boy is a freshman and they're at Providence High School and uh, we're Steve Wood High School, and they're in Young Life. And what's amazing to me is now I get to be a parent receiving um, the gift of what Young Life leaders are. Um, sorry, and it's awesome. And so I just wanna say, from a parent perspective, and I haven't had this until recently, thanks. Thanks for what you're doing. Know that what you're doing really, really matters. And, and uh, I mean, I've got kids that do know Jesus and they wanna do the right thing, but it has been amazing to watch the way God has used Young Life leaders in their lives. 
um, to grow them in Jesus, and it's really cool. So if you ever wonder if you're making a difference, I want you to hear tonight that you, that you are. What you're doing matters. And, um, and from someone that came to Christ with Young Life, was a leader, was on staff, and now I'm a Young Life parent, um, I just want to say thanks. And so thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, I'm excited, and I'm excited to share with you all tonight a little bit about um, the, the Lord and, and our walk with Him. Y'all, so uh, tonight, I want to I take us um, just for a few minutes and look at a story that will be familiar to you. And um, it's the story of David and Goliath. And here's what I want. Just would you throw out to me some just, just general things? I, I think this is a story in all the stories of the Bible. This is probably talked about as much as any, right? It's used in all kinds of contexts, but... Just give me some basic things that you all are familiar with about David and Goliath. All right? There's no, you know, I'm not looking for any particular thing. Just throw out some general, general information that you, uh, most people know about David and Goliath. How about? Goliath was like unbeatable. Okay. Massive. Goliath was this huge, unbeatable person. Yep. What else? Say that again. Okay, David was small, right? And uh, in, in weak in the process, right? What else? What's that? The with the yeah, the battle with the Philistines. That's right. Okay. What else? David was a shepherd. David volunteered. He volunteered to do it. It's good. Goliath was making fun of God. Okay, Goliath was making fun of God. You can't hear it. You can hear that. What David used to win? Slingshot, some stones. Okay, so there, there's this story that we're all pretty familiar with, and it gets used um, in a great way all the time. You know, even in sports settings, like David versus Goliath, and it's this picture of this big underdog taking on this really big um, person or this giant and overcoming it and, and winning. All right, and so we're going to look at that. And what we're going to talk from a little bit tonight is out of a book. Um, by a guy named Louis Giglio, if you've heard of him. And he wrote a book called Goliath Must Fall. And so some of the content tonight is out of that. And, and I want to share this tonight for two reasons. One is um, it's made a difference in my life personally. Um, and I'll share some about that tonight. So, it, so it's something that has really impacted me and my walk with the Lord. But it's also something that I think um, will encourage you guys tonight. And we're not going to talk a lot about tonight about how to be a Young Life leader. This isn't like a Young Life strategy meeting. Um, it's not going to be like, here's how to you know, break the ice with a kid that you're you know, intimidated with. Um, but this is going to be about you. This is going to be about you and your heart and your walk with the Lord. And, and hopefully um, open up some ideas um, about how God can pull you closer to himself. And therefore will we'll make you closer to him and healthier and ability to give your life away for Jesus to your friends and to those around you in a better way. So um, so I'm hopeful that as we share this tonight, it'll be something I'll encourage you mainly just in your walk with the Lord, right? You'll walk out tonight with maybe some new some new um, tools or ideas about, about Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to look in 1 Samuel 17. Steve, go ahead. I've got some uh, stuff up here, okay? So I've got the passages up here, and I'm going to read um, a little bit to start. Um, and just kind of follow along. You can look up here or you can read in your Bible. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces of war and assembled at Sokoth in Judah. They pitched uh, camp at Ephes Demon uh, between Sokoth and Ezekiah. Okay. Um, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line between uh, battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill on the Israelites. Uh, on another with a valley between them. So here's the setting, right? There's these two hills, and there's these two uh, 
nations that are in conflict. Does anyone know why they are in conflict? Does anyone know what they're fighting about? Or we've heard the phrase Philistine. Anyone know what the background of that is? It's not like you're a bad Christian if you don't know it. I'm just curious if you know it. So the Philistines were part of the promised land that God promised to Israel. And so they were a group that Israel was going to conquer and then take that land. And But throughout part of Israel's history, they left the Philistines in the land. And so it created this ongoing conflict about who had control of the land. And so there was... There was different times where people were in power. And so the Philistines and the Israelites were constantly fighting. And so here they are at this place, and you've got both of them on different hill, and there's a valley in between. Okay? And that valley is known as what? Anyone know? Valley of Armageddon. Right? It's the battle place that's in between them. And so here, that's, that's the setting. Israel on one hill, Philistines on the other hill. They don't like each other. They've been battling for a long time, and there's a big valley in between. Okay, let's go to the next slide, Steve. It says, a champion named Goliath, uh, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits uh, in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of uh, scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze, bronze greaves uh, and a bronze javelin uh, was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is 15 pounds. Um, his shield bearer went ahead of him. Go one more, Steve, we'll go to the next slide, and then we'll kind of stop with this. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why do you come up uh, and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. You can leave it right there, Steve. Okay. Um, so here's the first thing. I want to talk about Goliath. Um, there are some like, ancient uh, measurements that are in there that would be hard to understand. But anyone know how tall Goliath was? So he's nine feet tall. Okay, He's nine feet tall. Um, and he is a big dude. Right? So I, I, want, I want us to think about this. The people in the Bible are real people. Right? They're just like you now. They have emotions. They have normal feelings. They have families. And what was happening was there was this nine-foot-tall guy that was a warrior coming out and taunting and challenging the Israelites. And the Israelites ended up being afraid. And it was funny. I was trying to think, through, like, what would it look like to be like, around Goliath? Okay? So um, I was at a wedding two weeks ago, and um, a good friend of mine um, is the girl was getting married, and her brother actually goes to South Carolina. And, uh, and so they were all in the wedding party, and this girl um, was marrying a basketball player. And he was a tall guy. Well, his brother was the best man. And, uh, and his brother um, was, uh, you know, I, I hadn't seen him until the wedding, and then he was walking down the aisle the way. I'm like, holy cow, that's a big dude. So this picture I'm going to show you on the right is J.D. Locke. J.D. Locke is a sophomore here. J.D., um, if you know him, he's probably six foot, maybe six one. Um, pretty well-built guy, let's say he probably weighs 190, 195 pounds. This is a real picture you're about to see. Okay, so J.D. is on the right. David is the best man in the wedding, is on the left. Okay, go ahead and show that picture. Okay, so, so this is a real picture, right? So J.D. is about six foot, six one on the right. 190, maybe 200 pounds. That's, they're standing next to each other. And David is on the left, right? This is the best man in the wedding. 
real picture, no like Photoshop, all right? So here's the deal. So David on the left is seven foot three. All right, so David is bigger than Shaquille O'Neal. All right, now here's what's interesting. So Jamie's a, a pretty good sized dude, right? And he looks like a young child, right? Next to, <laughs> next to David, all right? And for me, it was interesting because I was like, man, I, I danced on the dance floor with David, right? and you kind of couldn't help but want to like look at him and like, you're so, like, I, he's the largest human being I've ever been around in my life, right? And so I'm never going to be around anyone probably bigger than 7'3", 315, or 350, you know, like that's a big dude, all right? So I want to leave this here for a second. So from a perspective, right, Goliath, was you know almost two feet bigger than this David right here in this picture, right? A lot bigger. So I would say personally, if a guy that was way bigger than this dude came out to fight me, I would probably be a little intimidated, right? Um, but this is what Goliath can look like, right? So it was interesting. It's just real recently to have a picture of what Goliath might look like. Um, and in this in this story. Um, what I want us to think about is this, is that Goliath is going to represent something in all of our lives. Okay, so you can go to the next slide if you want. Um, I want you to think about this, that Goliath in our world represents any giant um, that's in our life that is an obstacle to us experiencing the full life that God has for us. So, when we talk about this story, here's how I want you to think of Goliath. That Goliath um, is representing some sort of giant or obstacle in your life that really is keeping you right, from experiencing what God has for you. Remember, what did the Philistines stand between Israel? What were, they, what, what were the Israelites wanting from them? The promised land, right? The thing that God had promised them. And one of the barriers were the Philistines. And Goliath was the largest Philistine. He was the most intimidating. So when we talk about the story, think about David and Goliath. I just want you to think right now that Goliath is going to represent these obstacles that can really, really stand um, in our life. Um, I want to give you a couple common obstacles um, and uh, that we're going to touch on and, and I want to come back to. Um, and see if you can go to that next slide. I want to give you five common obstacles, five giants, five Goliaths that live in all of our world in some shape or form. Um, that can be a huge obstacle to us really, really experiencing what God has for us. And the first one is fear, okay? Um, we're gonna get to some other slides that have a little more information, but the first thing is fear, right? Uh, fear is a, is a common obstacle that can keep us from experiencing what God wants. Second is rejection, okay? The second Goliath obstacle, giant in our life, can be rejection. Third one is comfort, all right? And I'll, again, we're gonna, break these out a little bit more, but comfort is uh, a real obstacle or giant in a lot of our lives. Fourth is anger. All right, we're gonna talk about real quick how anger can impact us in our walk with the Lord. And five is addiction. All right, um, and <clears throat> these five things can create a huge obstacle in our walk um, with the Lord and, and seeing what he has um, for us. So, um, All right, let me, let me get Steve go up to the next one. I want to talk about David just for a second. Um, doo -doo -doo, let me just make sure I get this in the right order. Okay. Um, what's up there? Yeah, David. Okay, cool. So keep Goliath right over here, right? So Goliath is this big, giant 
barrier to what God's promise is. And now we're going to just take a real quick look at David. Okay, so in 1 Samuel 17, verses 12 to 15, it says this. Now David was the son of an Ephraimite named Jesse, who uh, was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third was Shema. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to set, to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Okay, so the other big person in this story is David, right? So we talk about David and Goliath. Um, when we have thought about this story, and we have maybe heard people teach on it, um, who does David typically represent? What's that? Us, right? Like normally, um, we see David as us. And when we talk about like in a football game, David versus Goliath, it's like one team gets the other, and can the other smaller, weaker, slower team beat the bigger, stronger, faster team, okay? Um, I want to give you one humongous truth in this whole story. If you hear literally nothing else in this time together, I want you to get this one big truth. See, go ahead and put that um, next one up. And here's what it is. The one big truth is this, is that we are not David. We're the Israelites. And Jesus is David. Okay? The real big truth in this is that we're not David. We're going to talk about why that's important, but I want to just, for what it's worth tonight, kind of flip that lens for you, that David in the story is Jesus. And we're the Israelites. Okay? And, and that's going to make a really, really big difference for us when we think about how our battles kind of fought. Um, so now when we, when we, as we flesh this out, this is not a story about you trying harder to beat your giant. That's not what this story is about. The story is not about you figuring out a way to go five, find five stones to slay some huge obstacle in your life. Because the truth is, Jesus is the one that's fighting. Right? And we're the Israelites, so we're going to talk about how it impacts us. So that's the really, really big foundational piece here is that, man, you know, I'm not David. I'm not, God is not asking me to go try harder or throw my rock harder at this big giant in my life um, to, you know, kind of create a victory. Um, so that's one of the big truths that we're going to come back to. All right, let me, let me walk through this. Let me, let me just tell you, um, I'm going to touch on these five things and give you a little context. And here's my hope. My, my hope is that tonight um, that you would be maybe honest enough to go, hey, one of these five areas is real for me. Maybe all of them are. One of these five Goliaths that I'm going to touch on um, probably are playing itself out in your life in some way, shape, or form. I know it's played out in my life. Um, as we talk about these areas, I'm going to let you know I'm coming off of a year where I saw almost all five of these areas really, really hit me really hard. Um, and I came to a place in my walk with the Lord and just my life where I felt really overwhelmed and I felt really, really small trying to take on a really, really big giant. And the truth is, I tried to fight that giant a lot on my own. And I'll be honest, I failed. I lost. Some of the things that I'm going to touch on became real obstacles for me personally. So if we talk about one of these and you're like, well, wait, I have fear, but I don't want to tell anybody. I'm just going to tell you right now, like, I've got fear. In my life, I, I deal with rejection, which we're going to talk about what that looks like. 
but I am, um, I'm coming off of a stretch of my life where I tried really hard to throw stones really hard at these giants in my life, and it didn't work. And I found myself in a really hard spot, and then Jesus came in to rescue me, right? Um, and so, um, so please know tonight um, that if some of these things feel real to you, I, I'm thankful for that, because I'll tell you they're real for me. And if don't think you're the only person that might deal with some of these things. So, Steve, go to that first one, which is called fear. Um, before we put the definition up, when you guys think about fear, and this might be in your own life or people that you're working with or friends or you know, what does fear feel like to people? Now, that sounds silly, but like, what does fear look like or how does it impact people? Paralyzing. Paralyzing? Good. Intimidating. What's that? Intimidating. Intimidating? Yeah. Makes she hesitant. Okay. What else? Trapped. Feel trapped. Uh huh. Um, go ahead and put that first definition up. Here's what I want you to think about fear is this fear is the feeling that we get when we believe that something bad is going to happen to us. Okay, when we believe it, man, something really negative is going to happen to us. I've got four children, um, we have four kids, four and under. Um, which was really fun. So our oldest was born. We had a last one. We have three boys and then a girl. And our um, and now they're 16, 14, 13, 11. And um, and our daughter, her name's Avery, and she's amazing. Um, and uh, she is a gymnast. So she's a competitive traveling gymnast. Well, there was a stretch for a, a couple years ago that she really, really dealt with anxiety. And um, and it was really interesting. She. Um, got to this place where it was she did not want to go to the gym so she was eight years old I was like okay every time to go and she's like no I don't, my stomach doesn't feel good I, I don't want to go why don't you want to go and I'll be honest like she couldn't totally say but we knew that there that she was dealing with fear and um, and um, it was hard it was really hard if you've ever been around if you've ever personally walked through some real heavy anxiety or fear or you've been around it it's really difficult because um, a lot of it is not based in the truth that something bad's gonna happen like you feel like something's bad gonna happen and so it, we got this where I would I would pick up Avery and I'd carry her to the car she was crying I'm like come on sweetie we can go because once we got Avery to the gym and she was with her coaches it all went away and she was fine but it was like a huge battle. And so I would carry her car. She's crying, no, 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 no. We'd get to the gym. I would pick her up and carry her, no, daddy, no, daddy, no. And she was screaming and kicking, literally kicking me. And, it, and we worked out with the coaches, like, just get her here. When she's here, she's fine. And I would walk in, and it was, like, really hard because it was a really crowded gym, and there was a lot of people. And I was walking in with a screaming child, and I felt like a horrible father. Just say, so, you know. So it felt like I'm, like, abusive. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's terrible. Like, every parent is looking at me, you know. But I would give Avery to their coach. And I walk out, and they would text me a minute later. She's totally fine now. And so we walked through a spell of having to deal with anxiety in our home that was really hard. Um, and one way I thought of to think about fear is this: is that it's false evidence appearing real. That's kind of one of those acronyms: false evidence appearing real. Sometimes fear is based in this belief that something bad's going to happen. It's not really true, but we feel like it's real, right? And so fear becomes. Um, a really, a really big thing. Uh, go on to the next one, Steve. Here's the thing. The most repeated commandment in Scripture is this, fear not. 366 times it's said in Scripture. One for every day, plus leap year. Right? Um, 366 times God commands his people, fear not. 
So if tonight you feel like, hey, I have these fears, and that fear could be about a relationship, it could be about something at home, it could be about you know something in school, it doesn't matter. If you have fear, you're welcome to the party, right? We've all got it, and God realizes that. Um, but here's here's last thing. Uh, Fear comes from our, our from our deep longing to be safe. We all really want to be safe in some way, and fear is the, the sense that, gosh, I'm not going to be safe. That something bad's going to happen to me. Uh, and fear comes out of conditioning, concealing, controlling. And here's what it is. We have fears in our life either because we've been hurt, right? Something's happened to us that has created some fear of a person or a situation, um, that we're hiding something, right? We create fear because we're hiding something, or we want to be in control we're not. Um, but fear is real. So, so one of the obstacles is fear. Let me just kind of keep following through here. See, go to the next one. The next one is this. The next one is rejection. Um, Y'all, this is probably my biggest giant. Um, and see, go ahead and put the definition up there. Rejection is this, the feeling that we're not good enough or that we don't have someone's approval. All right, rejection is feeling that I'm not good enough. Um, how many of you ever watched the show, This Is Us? Okay, oh, I'll be honest, it's great. Um, one of the most profound moments that, the, that happened in my life in the last year, when I went through probably my hardest stretch of my life, was an episode of This Is Us. And, um, and the episode is with Kevin. And remember, he's like really dreamy, right? <laughs> uh, but Kevin is in with a, a therapist, and he's really struggling. Um, and he has this moment where um, he tells his family that he has this feeling that he's never, ever enough, right? And Kevin's this guy that is a Hollywood star, and he's tall, and he's handsome, and he's you know, a football player, and he, he goes, I have this deep feeling, I'm never enough. And it's in the, in the that's won't ruin it for you, but the dad's not alive in the show. Um, and he has this deep sense that he's disappointing his dad. And, um, and I'll be honest with you, that came to the surface really heavy for me in the last year was I had some things happen in my life where I felt like, man, I, I'm just not enough. I'm not enough for my family. I'm not enough for my, um, to meet my parents' expectations. I'm not enough to meet my friends' expectations. And I got to a place where I felt like I was losing everyone's approval and I just wasn't enough. So if you're here tonight and you go, hey, I, I sometimes feel like I'm not enough. I don't have enough talent or I'm not good enough or good looking enough or I'm not smart enough or in young life it feels like you have to be funny to be good at young life, right? So I'm not funny enough. If you don't feel like you're enough, um, that kind of starts to hit in this area of rejection. That is a real obstacle and can keep us. Here's the thing, that comes from our deep desire to be significant, right? We all want to matter. We want to be important to somebody. We want to have value to others. And so rejection is this fear that we're not significant, that we don't matter. And, um, and I would tell you that's one of the things that, that Goliath wants to yell at you every day, is that you don't matter. You don't matter. Um, and uh, here, here's a quote that helped me a lot. It says, or a truth that was pretty impactful. It says, most people get their value. So how do we see how important we are, our value are? Most people get our value by the way that we believe the most important people in our life see us. Okay? So I'll get my value by the way I think the most important people in my life see me. I'll be honest. In some ways, like, I don't really care what the person checking, out, checking me out at Chick-fil-A thinks about me. Right? Like their, their opinion doesn't matter that much to me, but my dad's opinion does. And my best friends do. And some people, right? There are people that are really, in my life, I deem the most important. The way they see me often determines my value. And so when I lose that approval, that's where rejection kicks in. So if you ever deal with someone's like, man, I just, I struggle with feeling like I'm enough for, for someone. That's kind of where rejection hits in. Here's the third one is comfort. 
Comfort is this, the feeling that we don't believe we'll have enough stuff, right? Um, we live in an interesting place. Like we live in a very wealthy nation and somehow we never feel like we have enough stuff. Um, and so comfort is this obstacle that can keep us really, really held back from trusting the Lord because we're afraid that we're not gonna make enough money or we're afraid that we're not gonna have enough something, right? Um, and when you're a college, let's be honest, you don't have any money, right? So you're like trying to you know, eat mac and cheese anyways. But, but in life, we can get to this place where we just don't feel like we have enough stuff. And so, so comfort comes from this idea that we wanna be secure, right? That we wanna know, and we always hear this like financial security, but that, that's a big deal. Um, and here's the thing, comfort as an obstacle causes us to miss the very best by settling for something that's good. Right? Like I could have this incredible thing God wants from me, but it's way more comfortable over here. And so I don't really want to step into that. Um, fourth one is this, is anger. Um, how many of you ever get angry? All right? Um, and it's interesting, right? Like how many of you get angry at stuff that you know doesn't matter? Okay, cool. Uh, me too. Um, anger is a funny thing. Anger is, anger is an interesting thing. Um, one place we see anger show up is in, on the road driving. I had this really interesting thing happen on the way here at El Chipo. Can we say that's like the most unique name for a gas station, El Chipo? It's like, it's like really honest, right? So it's either really honest and somehow it feels like it's wrong at the same time. Um, so would you buy anything else at El Chipo? Probably not. You're like, oh, where'd you get your clothes? El Chipo. Oh, great. Where'd you get your engagement ring? Oh, El Chipo. Um, I was coming down right here on my way here, El Chipo, and uh, I was driving on Bull Street, and a car came at me in my lane, driving the wrong way. I mean, this is probably like 30, 40 minutes ago. Driving on Bull Street the wrong direction, like straight at me. I was like, if there's ever a moment for like anger on the road, right, this might be it. Uh, thankfully, they turned off and I don't know where they went. But, um, but anger is a funny thing. It comes at us in all different types of, of forms. Here's what anger is about. It's, anger is the feeling we have when we believe we've been wronged or denied something we deserve. Okay? So that's what anger It comes from our desire to be right. And um, there's three ways anger can hit us. We have wrongly felt anger, uh, which means that we're angry about something that never happened. Y'all ever get mad about something that hasn't even happened? Like you think it might happen and you get angry about it? I, you know, I'll tell you one thing that's interesting about marriage. Um, that happens a lot. It seems like that I get, my wife get angry at me for stuff that never happened. She got angry at me one time for a dream. Like I did something in her dream and then she was mad at me that I'm like, I didn't, I didn't do that. Like that was a dream. Like we know it wasn't real. And she's like, I know, but I'm still mad at you. I'm like, oh, how does this work? Uh, but we can have wrongly felt anger. We can have rightly felt anger expressed in the wrong way. Right? You're, you're mad about something that's you have the right to kind of be mad, but you show it in the wrong way, you blow up. Right? Or we have rightly felt anger that we never express, and that's where we stuff it. Right? We want to say everything's fine. No, we're good. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, but anger can be a, a real barrier uh, towards Jesus. And the last one is this, is addiction. Um, and this word feels really intimidating. I want to just give a little context. Um, but here's addiction. Addiction is the, is the feeling we have when we don't have access to something that we believe we need. All right? We think we need something, and we don't have access to it. So that's kind of when we start to feel this, this addiction. It comes from our desire to be in control. And here's the thing. There's kind of these common addictions that are talked about, which are alcohol, drugs, and pornography. Right? That's kind of the common ones that are talked about. And they're real. Right? They're, they're real things. But here's some socially acceptable ones. Um, your phone, right? Phone addiction is real. Addiction to technology. 
um, exercise, eating, sex. Those are, those are more socially acceptable addictions. Um, I'll be honest, I'm battling with my kids about technology addiction. And you guys probably, A, are dealing with yourselves, and then also dealing with high school kids, right? So you get a campaigner group together, and you're like, put your stinking phone away, right? Can you pay attention for a minute? Um, but it's amazing, right, how that addiction just shows up.